0: Now, up here is a bunch of church kids, right? We are church people, um, and we're still church people. So let's talk about that a little bit. Um, You guys talked uh, just briefly about your upbringing, but I want to hear more about your kind of small-town Georgia world and your grand old Church of God in Christ, (laughs) and you're all over the
1: place. So let's let's talk about, you know, kind of what church meant to you growing up. Yeah, um, so yes, very small town, uh, 5,000 in the entire county is kind of how I grew up. In the county, there was 5,000. Um, there's more counties per capita of, in, in Georgia yeah. than there is in any <laughs> state. So, it's, yeah, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, so uh, very small town. My, my uncle actually was uh, uh, a missionary in Honduras. When he moved back to Georgia, he kind of took over this Church of God, and that's where we started, you know, going to church. I was very, very young at the time. Um, but it was, it was a, a Pentecostal church of about like, you know, it would be anywhere from 30 to, to 70, sometimes a hundred on well, Easter. Easter. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, or like January somewhere, yeah you know, the first yeah, Sunday Year's in January. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's right. People were like, just one a year. But I that grabbed this. you. I mean, you, um, yeah. uh, you were, you were wrapped up in that. Yeah, absolutely. And I got involved very young playing drums yeah, okay. at, in this church. How young?
0: When did you start playing drums? Oh,
1: I was, the first time I played in church, I think I was 11. Wow, that's yeah. cool. Um, yeah, and uh, I, was, I was amazing. Yes. <laughs> in your own mind, you were Oh, amazing. man, I was ripping it up. Everyone was loving it, especially the older generation. Yeah, they were the just drum like, solos, random. We didn't even want drums, like, and you put an 11-year-old on them. <laughs> <laughs> You're
0: asking for trouble.
1: Yeah, and so, yeah, so grew up in that kind of, it was like a family environment. The thing that kind of drew me into that is all of the experiences that we went through, uh, I, I believe in things that are written in the Bible because of my experiences that I've had with Christ. Yeah. It is not what I've read in the Bible that has made me believe in Christ. This is exactly the opposite. Yeah. You know, and I think that kind of grabbed hold of me, and we were in church also every uh, And that's day. something that
0: you talk about a lot even in our own, you know, meetings and just our relationship with you is that is you, ex- you, you experience God, and, and, and that's why you're so passionate about worship as well, and, and,
1: you know, you want other people to experience that as well. It's, that's from your youngest years. Yeah, and I, I think it's like every time that there's, like, um, a moment to worship, yeah. Sorry. You're getting choked up all right. Ah. <laughs> um, every time there's a moment to worship, it's just like uh, thank, such, such a thankfulness. You know, it's just like I will, the, the quote from David, I will be even more undignified than this. Like I'm, I just, I don't, I never cared. I'm yeah. here to worship God. That's what I want that's to cool. do because of all that he has, you know, revealed to me at such a young age. So nice. that's cool. Dion, yeah. you're like inner city
2: Cleveland. Cleveland yes. The Browns. The Browns. Hairston. The Cleveland Browns. <laughs> Boo. And Los Angeles Rams. Don't forget that. Oh, yeah. You're yeah, welcome. That's right. You're welcome. I did wonder why, that
0: we're a little bit light today, no judgment. But I was wondering why <laughs> are we left. I not? know. And
3: Everyone's then, and at then I, was,
0: <laughs> I was looking at the NFL schedule. I was like, I thought so these were earlier. later. It's like right now, it's going can on. Can
3: you hurry it up? I'm trying to get yeah, it. Yeah, we're going to get quick. I'm, I'm get sorry. Go it. ahead.
0: Dion, you you're, you're done. You thought these <laughs> were monitors. We're actually just listening to what the game is going
2: Game so, starts at noon. You'll be out of here-ish. All right, go ahead. So I was born April 5th. April 4th, my mom was in church. Um, <laughs> and when I was born, I was a preemie. I know you can't tell. But <laughs> I was born a month early. And when I came out, I lost a pound. And so that's all so, of you congratulations. <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> and that's what I was trying. That's what I wasn't trying. I'm trying now, and I'm like, a pound, yes. No, no. Um, uh, so, <laughs> but when I um, came out, you know, one of my first experiences with the church was um, the hospital saying they weren't sure, you know, whether or not I was going to make it, and you know, my mom called the church and the church people came over and they laid hands on me and started praying and because that's how we grew up and they believed in the power of the word of God and here I am, you <laughs> nice. know, and so Amen. I, you know, I, yeah, thank God for the power of prayer, and and that was really before. My first out, outside experience from my house was in the church. And even before I went home from the hospital, my church was church my experience. You. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, yes, very deep in the church.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. And, and you're excited about church. So even as other people are a little bit jaded, a lot of our experience, you know, you can, you can say, okay, well, I don't know. But even despite the fact that, you know, imperfect people are, are leading God's church, it's like, this is church, this is me. And, and we love it, right?
3: Yeah, I love church. Um, my background is I just kind of just grew up a church girl. My parents were kind of missionary-esque preachers in Teen Challenge. They were on staff, and we were poor, and so we lived kind of in the building they had, like a staff building or whatever. And they'd go around in high schools and kind of preach, you know, redemption through their own stories. And then they kind of had it. They got divorced, and everything blew up. And there, I, there was a lot of rough times. I remember when my dad was a single dad and trying to figure life out. And, but he always made sure that we went to a church somewhere. And so I always remember being at a church and he went to church to find himself a lady as a single father.
1: <laughs> Flirt and, to convert. That's yes. what that is called.
3: Flirt to convert. to convert. That's what that's called. Yeah. There's, there's
1: Bible churches and bridal churches.
3: And there, <laughs> you know, hey,
0: this is, it's all legal.
3: That, you know, we have seasons where we need different things from the church. He needed a bride, but yeah. <laughs> he, he was like, help me take care of these kids. I don't know what I'm doing. True story. So, um, (laughs) literally, I'd go to school. I didn't even brush my hair. It's fine. We'll move forward. But so they got married, and then it was like we were a blended family, and we were just trying to figure out life. And um, I remember going to my grandparents' house on the weekends because my step-siblings were going to their other parent, and I didn't have my other parent around, so we went to grandma. So I went to her church on the weekends and then a different church with that. So just all over the place. Although I have never been in a Pentecostal church. I feel like it sounds fun. I know, I know. (laughs) I never have been, but I feel like I would like to. Um, We are converting right now to Pentecostal. (laughs) So, But anyway, so then just really where I found consistent roots was here at Rancho. We moved out here in middle school uh, back in the 89 is when we moved out here and we found Rancho. And it's been the most consistent place for me to kind of just grow up and find roots and, yeah. and I loved it for the people. Like I loved yeah. continuing to come, you know, even after I graduated high school, I continued to come back because of the people. Ironically, the people also were eventually what made me wanna leave the church, but <laughs> that's another story. That's another story.
0: But uh, you know, my experience is similar to yours in that uh, the home life was pretty rough and uh, we, I, I grew up a half a mile that way on Inez Road. Rancho Church, the original campus was three quarters of a mile that way. So in middle school I heard that they opened up their multipurpose room for uh, middle school kids and I just rode my bike up that hill and loved it. I mean these youth leaders I still remember their faces, their names to this very day because they welcomed the community kids into Rancho. We didn't go to that church on a regular basis, but they welcomed me on Tuesday nights. We had a blast. When they said it's time for Bible study, we all ditched and went across the street here and uh, but they still loved us. It's like, "Hey, whenever you're ready, we're here." And in high school, I was ready. I stayed for the, you know, the Bible study part and small groups. And I mean, I took trips overseas and, and amazing fun times and camps as these adults just poured into my life. And uh, I will always be grateful for that, which is why in college, as I was heading towards architecture, there was an invitation here to work with youth here. And I said, I'm going to do it. Because I'm going to give back to the community youth what this church gave to me.
3: And I got to reap the benefits of that.
0: That's right. And now you get to do the same for your youth group. And it's so cool. It's really, really fun. But church is, you know, just to be honest, it's kind of a mess right now. Church nationally, the American church is kind of a mess. Uh, You know, COVID just shut down a lot of churches for over a year. And now you're getting back. Then there's another surge. You kind of get back. There's another surge. And And it just goes back and forth. I mean, still now, most of our church is still online. And we're very, very grateful for that, yes. (laughs) Um, But it's different. It's totally different. Also, you know, political parties have just put their talons into the church right now, left and the right. It's just messed a lot of stuff up. There's anger and division. But we're still here. Why are we still here when the church in America seems to be kind of a
1: disaster?
3: I'm still here because of Jesus, and that's the only reason. And when I look at, you know, like what I was saying about people, and it just became complicated, and I know I was one of the imperfect people, but... It just, I, I, I was drawn back into the scriptures. I was drawn back into why do we do church? And Jesus came to establish his church. And he came and became a man and walked among us and you know fought off evil and went on to the cross to establish his church for salvation and for the church. And so I'm just here to, I, I don't have all the answers, You know, part of me likes that we were put in a little bit of a timeout, like sit and think about what you've done as a church because (laughs) y'all have made some mistakes and you need to just reflect and repent and, you know, come back to me, come back to your first love. And so I love that, but I've had, you know, through this pandemic, there's been a lot of time where it's like, we are spiritual leadership, but like, what does that even look like? What does this look like? We had never been in a time like this. And so just having to kind of refocus and just surrender and say, I am here to do your work as long as you will have me do it. And that's it, plain and simple.
2: I'm here because I believe in the power of God. Um, I believe, uh, you know, in Jeremiah, as he was speaking to the prophet, through through the prophet to the people, he asked the question, but it wasn't just asked, he wasn't just asking a question, he was actually stating a statement of fact. When he asked, is there anything that is too hard for the Lord? And I'm telling you, that, that kind of scripture just grabs my heart. Even as a little child, it grabbed my heart. And I was like, man, our God is able to do anything. And that's why I'm here, because I know that God can heal us all. God can heal the church. He can redeem it. He can, he can, he can make it what, to what it's supposed to be by healing all of us so that we can go out and heal the world. That's right.
1: I always, um, I'm, I stay, uh, usually I'm at church. Uh, it's the free coffee. And that's,
2: <laughs> that's why
0: you're here. I'm hooked. Yeah, when we no. brought back the donuts. At, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> no, uh, I always think of, of Peter, uh, you know, Jesus is preaching and everybody's leaving. And Jesus is looking at them, like all the disciples. He's like, you guys, you guys going to leave too? And Peter's like, where are we going to go? <laughs> like, you have the words of eternal life. Are you serious? Like, go back to working at Burger King? Like, no, I don't want to do that. I'm following you now for the rest of my life. And, and that is, that's the big thing for me is like this person that we're following, he's, he's healed the sick. He's made the blind see. He's, he's raised the dead. All right now. He did it himself. <laughs> yeah. He predicted his own death and resurrection, you know, and somebody does that and... Like we heard it to stick company. around. Yeah, we're gonna. Yeah, we should probably listen to this guy. You know, where else are we gonna go? This is this and is he, all my all my eggs are in the Jesus basket.
3: And he's done that in our lives as well, as we've talked about that. Yep. Like just walking with God, the miracles that He has done for us. Absolutely. Where are we gonna go? Yeah. Like you are literally our hope. You are literally what we cling to, right. and there's nowhere else. The thing I keep
0: coming back to with all of this stuff that's going on culturally, politically, societally, globally, in, in the church, all this kind of turmoil and sometimes chaos, and I just keep going back to the vision Jesus had for this world. He's going to install the kingdom of heaven. I look at it kind of like an operating system. You know, he's installing a new operating system because the old operating system has failed. Selfishness and greed, pursuing money and power and all that, using other people whether it's on a national you know, scale or on an individual scale, and Jesus says, I'm installing a new operating system for this world called the Kingdom of Heaven, and, and the church is going to do it. Yeah. He's not just going to snap his finger, split the sky. The church is going to do it. It's going to take a very long time. It's going to be imperfect, it's going to go left and right, but the church is going to install a brand new operating system on this earth called the Kingdom of Heaven. We'll talk about that here in a minute. But if you had a prayer for the church going forward, we know what it means to us in the past, we're still here in the present. If you had a prayer that said, you know, Jesus, founder of the church, head of the church, I pray
1: what for the future of the church? What would you say? For me, the for the future of the church, I would just pray for that childlike faith. Uh, you know, that, that whole idea of like when I see my daughter Zoe and I come walking in and she, it doesn't matter where I've been. It doesn't matter what I smell like, <laughs> what I look like, you know, she's gonna run and she's gonna hug me and I'm gonna pick her up every single time. And so there's no, there's no, I've got this figured out or this is my thing and I want to do it this way in, in a childlike faith. And that childlike faith is like, I don't have it figured out. I just want to worship Jesus. As my wife said one time, she was like, I don't care about all this. And, and you're trying to figure out, well, is this parable or is this the- I don't care. I just love Jesus. And I'm like, that's, that's really keep cool. Keep it that simple. Yeah, keep it. it that simple. And that would be my prayer going forward. It's like, let's not get it all twisted. Let's have that childlike faith. Let's believe in Jesus. Let's worship
2: him. For me, um, my prayer would be twofold. So if I was to say, Jesus, founder of the church, right? Um, I would, the first thing that I would pray for is that truth be revealed to the church first. And we know because of the scripture tells us that thy word is true. It's the things that Jesus has said. It's the things that God our father has said. That is the truth. And it is the truth that sets us free. So with that freedom... We can do what live free and do good (laughs) like that. So, with that freedom, we can do that. Also, my second thing would be unity in the church, unity in the body of Christ. Because the Bible spoke about the unity, even that, that, that the people of Babel had together as they were building a tower up to God. Out of everything that God could have pointed out, He pointed out one little thing their unity. And He said, Their unity is so together. There is nothing that is impossible to them. So, what did he do? He confused the languages. He had to, he had to break the unity so that they wouldn't sin and be able to do the things that they needed to that what they wanted to do. And so I just think if the body of Christ, those of us who believe in God, the Father and the Son, and and love, justice, and mercy, and if we take that testimony and give it to the world how we're supposed to, in unity. We will change the world overnight.
3: That's right. And, and my prayer, I think it would be very long and extensive, and so I'll spare you. This would take a... I, at family dinners, I'm no longer allowed to pray for the meal because I would just start praying for Ain't the sick and, like, for every affliction. You can always
1: tell when Megan's no, going to be a long man. prayer. So, is it, dear Lord. <sighs> you like, oh, it's going to be a long one. He's taking a breath.
3: Bless Let the but if I could just sum it up, it would be that he would just humble us, that he would humble the church. And I I think about that verse in Isaiah and repeated throughout the Bible. My prayer is really Philippians two, but where it says, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I just think that I would pray for him to reveal to us now what we have been bowing to and call us back to our first love, that we would bow and surrender to him so that just realizing that it is only through his spirit, by his love and in surrender, that we will be able to live out this way and that we will be able to love and lead like Jesus who hanging on a cross, while he's hanging on a cross, forgave those who put him there. And so for the future of the church, I just hope like we should never have anyone in the margins. We should allow, we can, we should include everybody to be used by God that he has called according to his purpose and that we would not get in the way of that. And that's a heart thing. I think that sometimes we can pretend to accept people when I'm in the same room with you, like, oh yeah, I know how to be nice to you. But right here, like my, hmm, or my, "Mm," when you talk or when you say things that are different than me, like, that is shutting you out of the church. And we've got to get back to the seriousness of how we have been doing that. And just, I pray that God would just completely just redeem our hearts in that that's
2: way. Right. Well, know, y'all, yes. I was going to say, growing mm-hmm. up in church of God in Christ, somebody might've been like, his name is Jesus. Right after you saying that, we've yes. we broken to song. The righteous son of God. <laughs>
3: <laughs> praise
2: that's him, that's everybody. I appreciate that. Amen. Take care, guys.
0: We all have our stories. Any one of you could have been up here and just ask the question of you, you know, what was your church experience when you were young? Uh, What did it mean to you? And for a lot of you, you would have stories of of being welcomed and belonging and acceptance and maybe in youth group days, you know, have a ton of fun and trips and outings and adventures um, and, and this warm welcome. Some of you, when you think of church, might actually have some painful memories of perhaps being excluded, or maybe you failed, you didn't meet the expectations, and you know what it's like to be judged and cast aside. But we're all here. Despite the chaos of the Capital C Church nationally, we're all here. We haven't lost hope. We believe that Jesus is Lord. He is the founder and the head of the church, and he's got a purpose for this place as well as his global church. And so we're gonna discover uh, in our time together what church is. So what is church? I did a little uh, entomology of the word church and that's a disaster. We have to go back to the founder. The founder is Jesus. And what did he say church was? Matthew 16, people were leaving Jesus left and right. He was too controversial. Um, He was confronting too many oppressors and power brokers and confronting religious leadership and people are just bailing. And here's this core group of disciples, his original posse, He looks to Peter and says, hey, Peter, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answers Jesus, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. That's the declaration. Basically, you're the savior. This Old Testament scripture that we have promises a savior and you're it. And Jesus says, good job, Peter. You got it right. I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church. He doesn't use the word church here. He uses the word ecclesia. We'll talk about that in a minute. And he says, all the powers of death and darkness will not conquer my church. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is a new operating system that's going to be installed on this earth, and my church is going to be the one to do it, and nothing can stop it. Nothing can stop it. We can't even mess it up on our own. Although, you know, you could argue we're trying, right? With all of our divisions and conflicts and politics and everything else where the church is kind of tearing each other apart and collectively the Western world is saying, I don't think I like church anymore and we're out. Jesus says it will not be stopped. My ecclesia will not be stopped. And what's that word ecclesia? It's the Greek word that simply means the gathering. It's just a gathering. He used a very common word, church is just simply a gathering of people who follow Jesus. And it doesn't have to be in a building. It doesn't have to be on a certain day of the week. It doesn't have to include music. It doesn't have to include a sermon. Somebody's saying, well, why am I here then? Right? Church is just simply a gathering, a gathering of people who follow Jesus. And Jesus made it very clear. He said, listen, where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Jesus says, listen, my spirit is with two or three just gathered together. He's in every single one of us, but you get two or three together. Now that's church. That's the gathering of people who follow Jesus. Now, over 2000 years of church history, there have been, I mean, millions and millions of different expressions of church in every culture and every age and every people group. So we're going to go through 2000 years of history year by year for the next. No, we're going to do this in 12 minutes. I promise you let's go through church history, four versions of church, right? Church version 1.0, first century Jewish religious sect. Here's how this worked. Jesus' disciples were all Jewish, every one of them. They accepted Jesus as the promised savior. If you read your Old Testament, it's the Jewish scripture, you read your Old Testament, you'll find time and time again, there's a promised savior coming in the future, right? Here comes Jesus, this small band of disciples followed Jesus as the savior. They followed Jesus as the savior. Now, their definition of salvation was this. Salvation was the hope of freedom from political and religious oppression. If you read your Old Testament, that is the definition of salvation. The hope that there will be freedom from political and religious oppression. That's the definition of salvation in the Old Testament. The definition of salvation from Jesus. The definition of salvation with his disciples. One day we're gonna be free from political oppression and religious oppression. It was a Jewish only sect of the Jewish religion for the first couple of decades. Now there were those in the Jewish religion who accepted Jesus and those who did not. Those who did not accept Jesus were among the leadership of that early church and they persecuted those within the, the Jewish faith that were following Jesus. One of the persecutors was the apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul recounted that in every synagogue, as these Jewish Christians are worshiping Jesus, following Jesus, in every synagogue, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in Jesus. Church version 1.0, a Jewish sect of the Jewish religion. They were still following the Old Testament commandments. They were still eating their Old Testament kosher diets. They were still keeping the Sabbath day of rest on Saturday. They were performing animal sacrifices and all the temple rituals as Christians following Jesus in the Jewish religion, church version 1.0. A Couple of decades into it, a scandal rocked the Jewish sect called The Way, the followers of Jesus. Cornelius messed the whole thing up. You can read about this in the book of Acts. Cornelius is not a Jew. He and his family, family were not Jewish. Yet he received Jesus Christ, believed Jesus Christ, received him as the Savior, and followed Jesus, he and his household. And Peter, the one who professed that Jesus is the Savior, said, No way, that cannot happen. He's not Jewish. This is a Jewish thing. We follow Jesus, he's the Jewish Savior. He came to save the Jews. The the sign on the cross was King of the Jews. He can't save anybody who's not Jewish. Peter says, I've got to see this for myself. So he traveled across country to visit Cornelius to see with his own eyes that somebody who wasn't a Jew received the Jewish savior. Here's how it goes. Peter said to Cornelius, you know I'm better than you. In so many words. You know it's against our law, our Old Testament, for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home. And I'm not even supposed to associate with you right? This is kind of the racism of some early iterations here. Still continues to this very day. But he was right. I mean, the Jews, uh, the Gentiles, Jews called the Gentiles dogs, unclean. He was not supposed to be in this house. And he makes it a point. First thing before he even says, hello, you're dirty. You're unclean. I'm not supposed to associate with you. Then he blames God for this. God has shown me, in other words, I'm not doing this on my own. God has showed me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. And at least Peter had the humility to hear God's voice. God had to give Peter a vision. It's a complicated vision in, in the book of Acts. God had to speak to him and say, you will go to Cornelius's house. And God did a powerful work in Cornelius's house, a miracle in order to prove to Peter that yes, people who are not Jews can receive and follow Jesus. That's version 2.0 of the church. Now the church was fighting like you wouldn't believe. In fact, um, the church was even you know, threatened with extinction because Jews were fighting Gentiles and Gentiles were fighting Jews. There was racism that you wouldn't believe. Over half of the New Testament was written to fight the racism of church version 2.0 Jews and Gentiles. They had council meetings. They had, um, you know, conventions in Jerusalem. We've got to fix this. We're destroying each other, right? The Jews were saying to the Gentiles, you have to become Jewish in order to follow Jesus. They were saying you have to believe and receive and live under the Old Testament, uh, Old Covenant. And the the, the Greeks were saying, no way, I'm not going to do that. There's fighting, fighting, fighting. The apostle Paul comes on the picture And the Apostle Paul really, I believe, is responsible for kind of saving the day here by the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. It's mind-blowing. Some of you won't like it. Paul said it. It's in the Bible. That is your problem. 1 Corinthians 9. The Apostle Paul, author of half of the New Testament, says, when I'm hanging out with Jewish people, I live like a Jew to bring the Jews to Jesus. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under the Jewish law. What's the Jewish law? Old Testament plus Talmud. It's their holy scriptures, right? He says, I'm only following the law, the Jewish law, when I'm with the Jewish people. He reiterates, even though I am not subject to the Jewish law, I did this so that I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. Are we clear here? The apostle Paul says, two different people, There's the Jews, they have have their Old Testament, they have their Old Covenant, they have their scripture. When I'm with them, I put myself under their law. When I'm not with them, I don't. Here's what he says. When I'm with the Gentiles, who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from the law so I can bring them to Christ. What does this mean? The Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament, not for everybody. It's for the Jews. When God, in version 2.0 of the church, brings in the Gentiles, he doesn't bring them in under the Jewish law. We are free. Now listen, if people are Jewish and they want to respect the Jewish law and live under the Jewish law, no problem whatsoever. But no one else, we're all free from that. No one else is obligated to follow the Jewish scripture. No one. We're free from it. And anyone who says they're trying to follow the Old Testament law is either intentionally lying or they just don't know they're lying. Let me give you a a real stark example of this. If anyone works on a Saturday, according to Jewish law, they could be put to death by stoning outside the city. Anyone who says, oh, I take the Old Testament law, I follow the Old Testament law as I follow the New Testament law, really? What'd you do on Saturday? I pulled weeds, dead, let's go. Pit right now. Let's go dig it and toss you in, right? You follow the law? Good? Oh, no, I'm not good with that. Oh, I see. So you pick and choose. I got it, right? Super easy. If we're going to understand the church, I mean the church, the real church, we have to understand the church follows Jesus. We follow Jesus, He is the center. We're not following religious traditions. Now, the Old Testament is in my Bible. The Old Testament is inspired by God. The Old Testament is the beautiful narrative of the Jewish people discovering God and trying to honor him and trying to obey him so that God will give them military success and more money. That's the Old Testament. And the Jewish people beautifully gave us Jesus Christ himself. It's a wonderful heritage, right? Read Romans chapter um, uh, uh, one and two. It's like, is, is there a privilege in being from that lineage of the Jewish people? Absolutely. That's the lineage that brought us Jesus Christ, but we are not subject to the Old Testament law. We are not Jewish people following Jewish religious traditions in our Old Testament. I hope that's really clear. Now we are living free. The church is a multicultural movement, living free in God's grace, free in Jesus Christ, free from religious commandments, free from religious laws, free to be loved by God, free to be forgiven by God, and free to love the world around us. That's why I love Galatians 3.28. Galatians 3.28 is like the banner over church 2.0. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, no longer slave or free, no longer male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Is that the unity that, that Dion kind of prayed for? Like, can we be one? Can a Jewish follower of Christ who's following the Old Testament law be one with a a Gentile, a Greek follower of Christ who's not under the Old Testament law but living in the freedom of Jesus Christ? Can those two get along? In the New Testament, we see on rare occasion they actually did. I think the high watermark of church is Church 2.0, especially third century Church 2.0. They were multicultural. They met in homes. Men and women were both leading. They really loved each other. They cared for each other. There was rich and poor in the same home church. They were generous to each other. They were generous to their neighbor. They were generous to the Roman soldiers who were persecuting them and lighting them on fire in their gardens and crucifying them on the streets of Rome. Church version 2.0 became a very beautiful thing for a very short period of time. And salvation for them, church in version 2.0, was the hope of building a whole new world of love. That was the theology that was emerging from those early church fathers. That's how they practiced their faith. Perfect? No way. But very, very beautiful. I think the most beautiful the church has ever been. Then came church version 3.0. I'll move faster, I promise. Church version 3.0, fourth century. The Western um, uh, Roman Emperor Constantine made a deal with the Eastern Emperor in the city of Milan in 313 AD. They said, you know what? If we keep persecuting these Christians, we're not going to build a powerful empire. We've got to stop persecuting Christians. And so they uh, made Christianity a legal religion in the Roman Empire, 313 Edict of Milan. Later, by 380... Christianity became the religion of the Roman Empire, which is why it's called the Roman Catholic Church or the Roman Universal Church. And of course, that's still in existence today. But during that period... Uh, government and church became essentially one and the same thing. All the expansion in in Europe that took place, most of the countries in Europe tied themselves to the Catholic Church. They used the Catholic Church to pay taxes. They used the Catholic Church to rally people for war. The Crusades happened during that time. Uh, The schism happened during that time. Let me show you a map of of the schism here. Um, uh, Real quick, you've got the orange in the middle is the Catholic Church. You've got the uh, yellow on the right is the Eastern Church. They divided over whether to put yeast in the communion bread, no joke, split the entire world in half. You've got Islam that is now kind of circling and warfare and crusades. And the, the church became incredibly corrupt, gathering taxes from all over the world, using uh, manipulation, uh, religious manipulation to get people to pay more money, religious manipulation for people to take up swords and give their life in war. Uh, indulgences started, and so you could pay the church in order to have sins forgiven. How cool would that be? Be so rich right now. You could pay essentially to commit sins. The richer you were, the more sins you could commit, the more you can pay, right? And you're free. Um, they they would not allow anybody to have the word of God on their own, so people weren't reading. Uh, the printing press came came later, but um, the word of God could only be held in the hands of a few powerful people. Um, every money scandal, every bit of corruption was completely hidden. And and the definition of salvation changed. And you can see why this is expedient. Church version 2.0 redefines salvation as hope of escaping fiery torment in the afterlife and entering eternal paradise. This is during the dark ages, remember? So plagues are sweeping through, Um, People are dying young. There were periods where half the children would not uh, live until five years old. And so people wanted assurance that their child wasn't going to suffer in the afterlife. And so salvation became about the afterlife. If you were trying to motivate people to give money, if you're trying to motivate people to be devoted, you're trying to motivate people to go to war, you say, hey, we have the pathway to eternal prosperity, eternal paradise can be yours if you follow the rules, if you give money, if you're devoted and you take up swords to go fight uh, uh, Muslims in the East. You see how all this works? It's church version 3.0. Church version 4.0, this is the 16th century. The reformers uh, come on the scene. And they are uh, version 3.0 church leaders and they're looking at the corruption. They're looking at, uh, they're money hungry. They're looking at that kind of the evil that's in the, in the leadership. And they're saying, listen, the people are suffering under the hand of, of version 3.0. And so they said, we have to reform this church. And so behind me is uh actual picture of Martin Luther posting 95 thesis on the Wittenberg door. These are the 95 grievances against the Catholic church. You have to reform Catholic Church says, no, thanks, we're not going to reform. And so the Protestant movement, the protest movement started. And so now, fast forwarding to this very day, we have this free market movement of Christianity because the reformers said, hey, listen, the people can have a relationship with God without the priests. The people can have a relationship with God without the church hierarchy. The people can be free from religious corruption and indulgences and and all this money corruption the the church the people can be free to have the bible and to read the bible and so this kind of renaissance started of literacy and the printing press people had the word of god in their own hands they could read it in their own homes they could think with their own minds and so now there's this free market of protestant christianity as a result we have 35,000 denominations in our world we have millions and millions of independent churches We have total freedom to contextualize a church around our own community and our own demographics and our own culture and our own time and our own place. We can take the timeless message of Jesus and customize it to our context because we're free, right? We're free to to be the expression of, of Jesus himself customized in a community. It's exciting stuff. And so now there's a church for everybody. I mean, you can go church shopping in our own town like you're walking through a mall Oh, no, no, I don't like one, that one doesn't fit. Oh, this one's really cool. Oh, let's try this one out. No, you hurt my feelings, I'm now over here. I mean, it's really kinda cool, right? It's better than being under the thumb of some you know, state religious hierarchy. It's a total free market. And so there's a church for everyone. If you need to be a part of a church that's doom and gloom, apocalyptic, end times, knock yourself out, you got it. You need a socially activistic church that is like you know, tearing down the injustice structures of the world, you got that church. Bible church is dedicated to studiously, you know, dissecting every word of the Bible. You got that church. Mission church is just dedicated to most of their budget going overseas to help people in far off lands. There are humanitarian churches that are feeding their neighbor, helping the poor. There are Pentecostal churches from whence a lot of our team comes that are loudly worshiping, seeking signs and wonders. There are little traditional churches, sometimes, a lot of times, older churches, just caring for each other and, and, and welcoming people into the arms of Jesus. There are small gatherings of friends meeting in home churches. There are massive gatherings in mega churches, basically Disneyland's full of full programming for every age group, right? There is a church for everyone. Now, back in my younger days... I would say, yeah, but what's the right way to do church? right? What's the right list of doctrines? What's the right way to worship? What are the right values and the right priorities? What's the right way to study God's word? What's the right way to obey God? And and you know where I've come to at this point in my life? You might wanna take notes. It's all good in the hood. It's all good in the hood. For those of you who don't know, hood is short for neighborhood, we're a neighborhood of churches. We're a neighborhood of churches, and there is something for everyone. And, and truly, in this whole kind of pandemic and politics nightmare, it's almost like you know dust was tossed into the wind and everybody just kind of scattered and people are landing in different places. And I've just come to the conclusion, fantastic, fantastic. If you needed to leave one place and land another because you need anything on that list, fine. Some, some people, you end up here, love to have you, right? Um, it's okay, it's really all good. So instead of you know just torturing ourselves, the right list of doctrines as though any one preacher or any one church has the right list of right doctrines. I mean, are you kidding me? How arrogant is that? Nobody does. Or the right way to worship. Look at God's word. There's all kinds of ways of worshiping, including dancing naked in the streets. It's like there's a biblical way to worship. Go dance naked in the street. What's well, in the Bible? You'll get arrested. So I mean, there's no right way. For the church to express itself in all times and all places. Every story is different. Every community is different. Every context is different. The message, the core message never changes, but the expression of church can. Remember when the apostle Paul says, when I'm with the Jews, I submit myself to the Jewish law, the Old Testament. When I'm with the the Gentiles, I don't worry about that. and We're just following Jesus together, right? He said this immediately after. I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and to share in its blessing. That's salvation to the apostle Paul, who is saying, you know what? I wanna get along with everybody. I wanna get along with my Jewish brothers and sisters and my non-Jewish brothers and sisters. In today's context, what I think he would write and what I would certainly agree with is I wanna get along with my Democrat friends, and I wanna get along with my Republican friends, and I wanna get along with my Green Party friends, and I wanna get along with my Libertarian friends, and I wanna get along with my Pentecostal friends, and my Baptist friends, and my dispensational friends, and my covenant theology friends, and I wanna have a church, truly, that welcomes everybody. It's not easy. It's really not easy. Um, There are some days, (laughs) depending on the emails I get that week, that I just wanna have a smaller group that all thinks exactly the same. I mean, how cool would that be? And then I think down that road, that wouldn't be cool at all. <laughs> that would be very boring. It would be very boring. And then one time, this little tiny group of people who agree with everything is gonna disagree and then we're all gonna you know, pitch a fit because we can't handle it. I would love to have the attitude of Paul and frankly, the attitude of Jesus when at his resurrection, he says, "'This good news of my grace and my love and my forgiveness is gonna go to every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. Church 1.0 didn't hear that part, apparently. Just thought it's only about the Jews. Version 2.0 reluctantly embraced other ethnicities, and they fought like crazy. Eventually figured it out and began to love their neighbor. Then this church-state thing just kind of got in the way. We're in 4.0 right now, and it's just kind of a free market of ideas. I don't wanna overblow this, But someone I respect very much, historian, um, uh, Dr. Phyllis Tickle, says she believes there's a version 5.0 coming. I happen to agree with her. It may not happen in my lifetime, but I believe version 5.0, and I'm gonna close with this, looks something like this. What if Jesus was at the center of the church? Let's imagine version 5.0. Jesus at the center Not the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament as the center. We don't worship the Bible. The Bible reveals Jesus. We worship Jesus. And we can learn about Jesus through the scripture. And then we read scripture through the lens of Jesus. That is a very exciting way of thinking. Jesus is the center. Jesus himself said, you lift me up. He was talking about his crucifixion. You lift up the full expression of my love and sacrifice for the world. You lift me up. I'll draw all people to myself, Jesus the center. What if grace was the culture of the church? Not judging people's wrong doctrines, wrong behavior, not micromanaging people, not policing everybody's you know, sin, not nitpicking the world around us, not separating from the world around us, but being a culture of grace, receiving God's grace. What does scripture say in, in the book of John? The law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus. Grace and truth, the truth of God's grace, being a culture that is just open and warmly welcoming anyone who would come, embracing people just as they are. If they have hurts to walk with, we will walk them through those hurts. If they have behaviors that are destructive, we will walk through them behaving differently, all in a culture of grace. What if love was the only law in church? Paul says the entire law, and he's talking about Old Testament, the entire law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. That's it, love is the only law. And what if we were committed, this is a little self-serving because it's our tagline, to live free and do good. And I can't tell you how genuinely excited we are about that. Live free in God's grace, live free to know that there's nothing between us and God, nothing can separate us from God, he loves us, he's forgiven us of everything, past, present and future. We are his children, his daughters, his son. And he just looks at us and says, you are perfect to me. Let's walk together. That causes us to live free. No guilt, no shame, no burden, no religion over us. We're free to love God and be loved by God. And we're free to do good. Do not let your freedom result in indulging your flesh. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another, Galatians 5:13. Live free and do good. Are you ready for that kind of church? We can live it. I think in large respects we are. We can absolutely live what we could just call in pencil version 5.0. And it welcomes the world to church just as they are. Loves them just as they are. Walks with them in grace just as they are. Looks at each other and says, let's do some good in this world. Let's change some lives. Let's feed people, let's mentor people. Let's seek out people who are hurting and let's help to comfort them and heal them and bring them to restoration. Let's do what Jesus did together. I'm excited about that vision. As you came in, you were given a a communion cup. You can peel off the top thin layer and you will find bread. Let this bread remind you of the gift of Jesus Christ. If you don't have one of these, you can just raise your hand and, and we'll toss you one. There's some up here. Jesus gathered his disciples right before the cross and he said, let this bread remind you of my body, which is broken for you. Let this bread remind you that my love for you is so thorough that I will go to the cross to show you how much I love you. He says, as long as you eat this meal, this last supper meal, this communion meal that we're celebrating right now, eat this in remembrance of me, take the bread and eat. And then Jesus took the wine of the Passover meal. And he said, let this wine remind you of the blood that I'm about to shed for you. My love for you has been so complete that I'm about to be arrested for that message. I'm about to be arrested for the love that I have shown to the world around me. I'm about to be arrested and tortured and crucified because I love the world. Let this remind you of the love of Jesus Christ that he has for you. Take this and drink in remembrance of Christ. We're gonna close in prayer in a final song. And this is not a sing-along song. This is a just kind of sit and enjoy type of song. But it talks about just the beauty of praising God. And it uses that word hallelujah. which just simply means to praise God. And there's been all kinds of expressions of praising God through 2,000 years. And this song will kind of pluck from some other songs that have been written hundreds of years ago. And it just celebrates that right here and right now, all of the threads of the church have led us here to this place this morning, this church, to celebrate the presence of God and the grace of God, to celebrate together and to say together, we're gonna follow Jesus. This will be a culture of grace. Love will be the only law. We will live free and do good. God, we thank you for your mercy towards us. Thank you that we can gather every Sunday. And it just so happens we choose to gather in a building on a campus on Sunday morning but we're still at the very simple core of it all, friends who are gathering. We follow Jesus, we love Jesus. He's our model, he's our savior. And he's not just our savior, but the savior of the world. And, and, and using us to bring in the kingdom of heaven and it is taking time, so help us to be patient. Help us to be patient with the world around us, help us to be patient with ourselves as imperfect people are used by you to bring the kingdom of heaven to this earth. That is salvation. And I pray that we would enjoy the process of, of dying to ourselves, not living for ourselves, but living for your glory and the benefit of others, that we might teach what Jesus taught and we might do what Jesus did, living free and doing good. In Christ. name we pray, amen. amen.